Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Okay, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 10. First Samuel chapter 10, and we're going to look at the second half of the chapter. So, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. First Samuel chapter 10, I'll pick up at verse 17. <clears throat> Thereafter, Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the sons of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought Israel up from Egypt. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But you have today rejected your God, who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses. Yet you have said, No, but set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and your clans. Thus Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its families, and the Matrite family was taken, and Saul the son of Kish was taken. But when they looked for him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? So the Lord said, Behold, he is hiding himself by the baggage. So they ran and took him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. And Samuel told the people the ordinances of the kingdom and wrote them in the book and placed it before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his house. Saul also went to his house at Gibeah, and the valiant men whose hearts God had touched went with him. But certain worthless men said, how can this one deliver us? And they despised him and did not bring him any present, but he kept silent. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. So a quick review of Samuel up to this point. The first chapter we have Hannah crying out to God for a child and then Samuel is born, Samuel the prophet. And then the second chapter, the first part is Hannah's song praising God for and, and, and demonstrating the hope that she has in God and his work. And then the second part of chapter 2 is Eli's son's sins and their judgment. And that is a theme of the book. Fathers and sons is a theme, certainly a theme in this book. And then the cha- chapter 3, God calls Samuel. Chapter 4, you remember, the ark is taken. Eli is rejected. Ichabod is born. And... And then chapter 5, Dagon is destroyed. Chapter 6, the ark is returned after the Philistines are afflicted by the presence of, of God in their midst through the ark. 
Chapter 7, deliverance from the Philistines, and Samuel then returns to the scene and begins his work as a prophet in Israel. And then chapter 8, Israel calls for and asks for a king. We looked at that, saying it was a mixed mixed asking, right? Positive and negative. And then chapter 9, Saul and the donkeys and his anointing as the king. Chapter 10, the first part that we looked at last time, Samuel exhorting Saul. And then this part is sort of the inauguration. It's him being set in place publicly before the people that have been called together at Mizpah. Okay, and so that's where we find ourselves in the process. Saul is just beginning his work as the king. So Samuel calls all the people together at Mizpah. Mizpah is... There are several Mizpahs in Scripture. It's a word meaning watchtower. It's a city in Benjamin's territory. And of course, we know um, that Saul is that Benjamite. And so it's in his territory. And it's, it's, one of, it's one of the cities, you remember it said that Samuel went on a yearly circuit. And there were three cities that were named. And this one is one of the three cities on his yearly circuit. Uh, Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. It's about a 50-mile circuit that he would travel through each year. Um, and so all the people are called together at this, this um, place. And then Samuel speaks to Israel. The prophet is speaking. And what does the prophet mention? <laughs> what does the prophet mention? Again and again and again and again and again, Scripture comes back to the what? Their deliverance from the Egyptians, from Exodus. Why does Scripture come back and come back and come back and come back to that? Why? What's that? Uh, well, that's that's not well. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. It, it is it is an instituted remembrance, right, of these things. Okay. Okay. So God, God, um, God delivers them, God redeems them, God takes them out, he hears their, and it's in response to their cries that they've lifted before the Lord. And so the exodus becomes a, a um, paradigm for, for salvation, right? And so scripture is constantly reminding us to think upon that deliverance. Now that was a physical deliverance, which picture, which, is a, which um, leads to the, the spiritual deliverance, um, the bondage that we have to sin. And the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, right? And so, so the but it, but it's continually coming back to this. And right at the the like heightened moments in the history of Israel, they're reminded: remember, remember what God has done for you in the Exodus. Remember what God has done for you, not what you did for yourself, but what God has done for you. And so here again, here again, they're being reminded of this. Do you remember what God has done for you? They're being reminded of this. Do you remember what God has done for you? And now look what's happening. 
Do you remember what happened to our fathers? Do you remember the magnificence of the judgments of God against your enemies and against the gods of the Egyptians? Do you remember that? The stories that have been handed down to you in the, in the Word of God. Do you remember that? And, and now he's saying, God has delivered you. God has consistently delivered you. And now today, what are you doing? You're rejecting that God. It's very strong words that the prophet has for the people. Today you have rejected your God who delivers you from all your calamities and distresses. And so what's going to happen in, in coming days is the, the, the kings are not going to do that. Right? The kings are not going to deliver them from their calamities and distresses. What the kings will end up doing is adding to their calamities and distresses. And actually putting burdens on the people. They've rejected God and what they have now is, is a burden. So he comes with this um, this indictment. You've rejected your God who saved you. And you've insisted on it even after I rebuked you. <laughs> right? He, he's told, this is not the first time that Samuel has said this to the people, right? He's, he's been a good father. He's been a good prophet. He's come to them and he says, you're rejecting God. You're not rejecting me, but you're rejecting God, right? And, and here he is saying it again, reminding them what's going on. You've insisted on this even after I've told you what it means, even after the rebuke. And so he's, they're hit again, hit again by Samuel to remember this. Remember what has, has gone on. If you turn back to, to chapter 8, verses 6 through 22, it's Samuel running through what things will be like with a king. Okay, and so, so Samuel's being faithful here, isn't he? He's being faithful to tell them the consequences of their actions. He could have just, he could have been cordial. Right? But, but he was faithful. He could have been nice, but he was faithful. I feel often that my, my desire to be liked or my desire to be, um, my desire to be friendly often outweighs my desire to be faithful. Isn't that the case with you sometimes? And here the prophet says, once again, he says the same thing. He comes at them. He could, have, he could have made this easy. He could have made it regal. He could have made it positive. He could have, he could have started working on the favor of Saul. You know, working on, you know, what, what will I get out of Saul's kingship? But instead, he's a prophet and he feels the burden of delivering the word of the Lord, and even delivering rebuke. Now, how is the... Why do we have this choosing? I mean, hasn't Saul already been anointed? He's already been anointed. Samuel the prophet has, has, has been told that he's the king. But now, what, what do they do? They choose the king by lot. Why? Why this choosing now the king by lot? Like, not Lot the person, but, you know, lots, by lots. Um, why, do you think, um, why do you think they do this? 
Why do you think the prophet insists on this? Make it clear that it's God's choosing, right? The lots are going to show this. That's what lots demonstrate, the providence of God. And so here it is, these lots are falling out right down to Saul. Right? And so it's, it's publicly proclaiming that, that yes, this is, this is the one whom God has chosen to set over you. Yes, you asked and you've received Saul by the hand of God. Okay? And so this, this is um, not just the people's choice, but this was God's choice. And this, this shows it. But we have a problem. So the tribe of Benjamin, the Matrite, and then down to Saul. But we have a problem. Saul's nowhere to be found. Now what's going on with Saul? Where is Saul? He's hiding, it says. He is hiding himself by the baggage. And baggage typically means the, the uh, military gear, the provisions for, for uh, those engaged in that manner. And so he's, he's hiding himself among the, um, the, the stuff. Why? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Why, why is he there? Now, notice that, um, so that this is, all the people have been called together. This is a public ceremony. They do the, the ritual of the lots, right? It falls to Saul, and um, it says in 20, thus... Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, tribe of Benjamin, tribe uh, the, the family of the Matrites. Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he could not be found. Right? He had been called to this. He's already been anointed by Samuel. He knows what's going on, and he's not there. I mean, it'd, be like, it'd be like our president not showing up for his inauguration. It'd be mind-bogglingly bad form. Right? But he's not there. He's close, though. Therefore, they inquired further. Now, they, they looked for him. Right? First, what's the first thing they do? They look for him, and he can't be found. And then they inquire of the Lord. Right? So they, they take matters into their own hands. He can't be found. Therefore, they inquire further of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord is the one who says, Behold, he is hiding among the baggage. He's hiding among the baggage. He's been anointed. He's been among the prophets prophesying. But when he went home, he hid it from his uncle that he had been anointed. So there's something going on here. Um, they looked for him. They couldn't locate him. He's hiding so much so they inquire of the Lord. Why is, now, so, so why is Saul hiding? You've read this story before. What in your own interpretation is your answer for this? Why is Saul hiding? He doesn't want to be king. Is he fearful? Is he a coward? Is he lazy? Is he modest? Is he humble? Is he not wanting honor? Is he, is he deferring to others? I mean, it can be read either way. 
right? And we, what we start doing, and this is what we should do in Scripture, is you put yourself into Scripture and you begin examining yourself when you hide. Why do you hide at times? Why do you hide at times? Have you ever hidden in a positive way? Well, usually it's because you're fearful or you're cowardly. At least it is for me. I'm a coward, so I hide. Conflict is coming. I hide. I run from it. Right? Um, but there, there are ways you can hide um, differently. You know, modesty could lead somebody to hide. To, to um, you know, I don't want to be up front. I want to recede into the background. And it's not a, a false pride. It's actually just being discreet, being withdrawn in a good way. Um, so, when else do you, when else do you hide when you lack trust in God, right? When you lack trust in God and your fears and anxieties creep up and you, you, you just run, you, you don't even approach God in prayer because you're so anxious. You don't even want to think about what's coming, right? And that's hiding. And so they ask God, has the man come here yet? God answers, behold, he is hiding himself by the baggage. Now, here's here's what's mind-boggling is most of the commentaries I read commended Saul for his humility and meekness. Most of the commentaries said this was Saul's humility. Um, one said Saul's humility and meekness were again evident for when the lot named him as king, he was with the baggage, right? With, with the, the common man, right? With the, 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 the little guys among the provisions. That's where he was. This view has going for it 1 Samuel fifteen seventeen. Samuel said, is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel. Samuel is speaking to Saul, and he's saying of Saul, you were little in your own eyes. But this seems to be a reference to his tribe, doesn't it? Remember Saul's own statement in chapter 9, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin, right? So I I think he's, you know, the littleness in his eyes is because he comes from this, this tiny tribe that has recently been decimated, right? Because of the the conflict and, and the least of the families. But, but his father is a man who is well known and seemingly a rich man. So, so we could read it like this. We could, we could read it as this is Saul being cowardly or at best indifferent to what God has uh, called him to, the task that God has called him to, indifferent. Um, and, and if we take that route, then he is failing from the start. He's failing to be the father of the nation. Right? He's failing to protect, to govern, and to love. He's failing. He's just hiding. He's shunning responsibility. Um, 
Matthew Henry writes, He had hidden himself among the stuff. So little fond was he now of that power which yet, when he was in possession of, he could not without the utmost indignation think of parting with. Right? So now he doesn't want it, but then once he had power, he just couldn't, couldn't let go of it. Right? And so, perhaps, perhaps, again, to go to bounce back and forth and not answer the question, why is he hiding? Perhaps he withdrew so they would choose another king. They're choosing the king, but it's chosen by lot, and he's hiding himself. Perhaps he, he thinks, well, if they can't find me, they'll choose another. Well, that's just foolishness. Um... Uh, perhaps he's fearful. Think of the enemies that are rising up against Israel. The Philistines and the Ammonites are very strong right now. He knows that his first, his first task, and we see it laid out before him in chapter 11, is, is battle. He knows it. And, and what man isn't fearful of running into battle? There isn't a man alive who isn't fearful in those circumstances. So the Ammonites are threatening. He may... Um, and, and what do we know about Saul? Well, we know he's tall. But we don't know if he's trained in warfare. He's the son of... I mean, he's been chasing donkeys. Okay, He's the son of a farmer. And so we don't know if he's trained in battle. We don't know um, if he's a warrior or a general. We don't know if he... And so he may be fearful at this point. Um, In other words, he didn't want to set sail in a storm. He didn't want to set sail in a storm. He knows this is going to be hard work. Henry again says, Note, none will be losers at last. And and this is Henry's take. He says it's, it's... Saul being modest. Note, none will be losers at last by their humility and modesty. Honor, like the shadow, follows those that flee from it, but flees from those that pursue it. So honor follows those who flee from it, like a shadow. You know, the shadow comes right along with you. But if you chase after a shadow, it runs away from you. And honor is the same way. Um... And so we see, you know, so, so many, many, many see it fearfulness, many see it cowardice, many see it as humility, and, um, and, and that got me thinking about the inaugural, inaugural address that I heard. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. Those, the, that's a statement by our current president. Fathers, is that how you assure your children when they are fearful? Is that the sort of things that you say to your children? I will never, ever let you down. I will fight for you with every breath in my body. 
If that is the way that you encourage your children when they are fearful, you have failed utterly. You may say, I am here now. You may say, I will hold you now. But you point to God as being the one who will never, ever fail you. Right? You point to God and say, He's the one who will never fail you. I will fail you. But God never fails. God has all power, right? God has every resource. God has all knowledge. And He's not only got all of that, He said that He will never leave you or forsake you. And God can make that promise because He's able to keep it. But no man can make that promise. And so, I, you know, you, you see... You, you begin to think of, well, maybe Saul is withdrawing because he, he sees the magnitude of the task and he knows his weakness and he's withdrawn. Rather than the one who steps up and begins to boast. Um, boasting like the man who takes off his armor as he begins the battle. Um, fathers, don't point to yourself. Never point to yourself. That shouldn't be. Let God be true and all men be liars. God is true, though all men are liars. Okay? And so we... we um, again, you, you begin to... I, I began to think through leaders. I began to think through this contrast between the... You have... I mean, where does Saul fit into this? Is he, is he, a, is he a prideful leader... Is he a humble leader? Is he a proud abdicator? Is he a humble abdicator? Those are like all the, the, the different ways that, that leaders can fall. And, and the question is, is what does Saul's hiding here indicate? And I think it's significant. It's worth dwelling on because it's God who is the one who reveals to him that he has hid himself among the baggage. But it's a hard question to answer. Behold, he is hiding himself among the baggage. So they ran and took him from there. The men run and get him and take him from there. But we have more information in the rest of this passage about Saul's character, don't we? So they ran and took him there. And when he stood among the people... Now, what's crazy about this? When he stood among the people, he was... Taller than all the people from his shoulders up. Again, there's that return to appearance. Right? He's, he's proving his character by hiding among the baggage. They, they like the fact that he's taller than all the other men. He appears like a leader. And then Samuel says to the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Do you see him? He points to his stature, his, his height. Surely there is no one like him among all the people. I mean, is that Samuel being uh, ironic? I don't know. I think Samuel has high hopes for Saul. I think Samuel's behavior from this point grieves Saul greatly as he sees what God is doing through him. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Long live the king. 
Um, don't look at what he's been doing. Look at his height. The fact that he wasn't here for his inauguration, don't take that into consideration. He's a, he's a head taller than anybody else. I mean, this is like looking to... This is machismo. I mean, this is like looking to... Um, the, the, uh, this is like determining somebody's leadership qualities by the size of their bicep. Um, his attractiveness, his muscles... His being among the pretty people, the cultural elites. But that convinces the people, and they shout, long live the king. Samuel the prophet brings the word. He tells the people the ordinances of the kingdom. I think this is something along what we read in Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20, where the duties of the king are laid out and what he is to do. Um, but but one of the important things to remember about Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20 is that, that Israel is not, to, not merely to have a king. They're to have a, a uh, I guess it's called a vice king, right? Because what's higher than the king? Not just God, but God's law. The law is higher than the king because the king has to submit to the law. Do you know that in, in, in old empires, the king used to be called the law? Scripture doesn't allow that, right? Scripture says, no, you need to make a copy of this law and take it to heart and submit to it, right? So the king is not above law. So this is a vice king. He's under the law. He's not like the kings of the Medes and the Persians. What did the kings of the Medes and Persians do? They made all the laws, and if they made a law, it could not be overturned, right? Not so with these kings. If they made a foolish law, then the word of God could overturn it. And the priest would tell them so. You've heard in this. And so we see that the king is supposed to be a vice king, and we'll see whether or not Saul acts in that way. Now, here's the next thing. Samuel told the people the ordinances of the kingdom, wrote them in a book, placed it before the Lord. Samuel sent all the people away, each to his house. And then we have these two groups. We have, and what a description here, right? We have some who go along with Saul. We have some who begin to scoff at Saul. Some who begin to disregard the fact that it is God who has set him up as king. They begin to to dishonor the king. Right, so Saul also went to his house at Gibeah, and the valiant men whose hearts God had touched went with him. The valiant men whose hearts God had touched went with him. But then there are also these, but certain worthless men said, how can this one deliver us? And they despised him and did not bring him any present. And so they despise him and they don't honor him with, with a gift, with, with uh, what's due to him. And so they're going from long live the king to how can this one deliver us? These worthless fellows are. And, and if we're going to read this as... I mean, they're called worthless fellows, but we know the end of the story and we kind of think... We, we want to go along with them because Saul really is not going to deliver them. 
is going to be an affliction on the kingdom, right? But that's not legitimate. Think of David's respect for Saul. Think of how David treated Saul. David honored him and and multiple times when he had the opportunity to take him out, said, "I, I will not lay my hand against the Lord's anointed. Right, so, so, so David respects him, even though David has probably more reason than anybody else to disrespect him and distrust him and to have known his character, having played the harp for him in private quarters and having had Saul come at him and then chase him around the kingdom. Think of, think of our command in Scripture to honor the king and to pray for our leaders. Pray for our leaders. I saw on Facebook, that's, uh, I know. Um, sorry. That's where the culture is, is right out front. I saw on Facebook that a pastor was, actually I saw somebody who said, I, I, I've stopped following a well-known reformed pastor because he was joking about the president being shot. And I kind of thought, well, um, I'd like to see the context. I don't know. And then I remembered reading, reading that joke because I'm friends with this other person. And I remember reading the joke, and I blew by it. And this guy was, was like, this is dishonoring that the, the man that God has put in place. It may have been a lighthearted joke, but, but it's not the sort of thing you joke about when you're trying to honor, honor the man. And honor the office, right? Honor the office. And so um, we're called to, to show honor even to our president, right? And that's what David shows us here. But these worthless men, they're like, how can this guy deliver us? I mean, he's not worth anything. He might be a shoulder above, but he is worth uh, nothing. Um, I, I think it's beautiful how the valiant men who went along with them were men whose hearts God had touched. Valiant men. They go along with Saul as those who uh, must, must protect him, keep his charge. Perhaps those are some of David's brothers. Um, and then finally there's this. The last sentence. But he kept silent. Saul kept silent in the face of worthless men saying, you're not going to be able to deliver us. Now again, cowardice, fearfulness, or humility. Um, Such restraint is pretty uncommon, I think. Such restraint is really difficult. Such restraint is very difficult for you, isn't it? You are worthless. And you just take it. Don't say anything. Um, there's a similar phrase. In fact, the exact same words. But Jesus kept silent. But Jesus kept silent. He was being insulted. He was being told to deliver himself. And you can't do it. But Jesus kept silent. And here it says of Saul, but he kept silent. Such restraint is very difficult. Here Saul is doing right, perhaps encouraged and enheartened by the valiant men who surround him. Right, Those valiant men who are going along with him, 
are, are, are giving him the strength to be silent in the face of the worthless men casting insults at him. Henry, Matthew Henry says, he was so far from resenting it, which was an evidence of his humility and modesty and the mercifulness of his disposition and also that he was well satisfied with his title to the crown. He had accepted it. For those are commonly most jealous of their honor and most revengeful of affronts that gain their power by improper means, right? If you steal power and someone threatens it, you get really bent out of shape. But if you have legitimate authority and it's been proven, then when people threaten it, you trust God and you're silent. Again, that, that is a, a fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? It's very difficult, even in much lower stakes for us to, to, to be hit and not to respond with words. So, to summarize, in the end, think of it this way, and, and I, don't know if, I don't know if I've concluded the question, whether it's fearfulness, a combination of all these things, cowardice, humility. But if we read this as humility rather than cowardice, that makes Saul's disobedience and decline that much more tragic. Right? It makes it that much more tragic. That there was, again, just a tasting of some of these activities of the Spirit, but not a sinking in of them through a, a softened and regenerate heart. And so this really makes, if we read it as humility, it makes Saul's disobedience decline that much more tragic. But where the Spirit is absent, humility will last only for a moment. Right? Humility can be sustained for a little bit if the Spirit is absent. But if the Spirit is present, humility can be maintained and be constant. Right? It can be constant. But that's not what we see with Saul. That's not what we see with Saul. So chew on this. Find cross, follow your cross references. See where they take you. Come to a conclusion on what you think about Saul and his hiding and what it means. But there are certain lessons we can take from it. Um, the other lesson would be, you know, as you can, you, can, you can appear modest and be immensely proud. Right? You can appear modest like he's receding. And it all be a false humility and about pride. Again, that could explain Saul here and his blood bloodthirstiness and his. But what, what's most tragic about Saul? It's not that he tried to kill David; it's that he would not obey God. He would not follow the commands of the prophet of God, and he would not obey God. And so, that certainly shows a certain pride that Saul had. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would remember as we, we look at Saul and David and these, these other men that they are mere men. Father, and that we would, uh, we would reflect upon their faithfulness or their lack of faith and unbelief. Father, most of all, I, I pray that we would, we would look upon Jesus and see his 
sustained in constant humility in the face of every enemy, in the face of bearing the weight of the wrath of God, in the face of of strange conversations and questions from his apostles and all their affronts and everything, Father, we pray that we might see that and, and by the power of the Spirit dwelling in us, be like him. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.